0: Tonight we conclude our series on the seven churches of Revelation. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this series. It's been really eye-opening. I know in the studies that um, not only I've had, but Pastor Black has had, it's been just really some really cool stuff that we've learned along the way. And tonight is going to be no different as we look at the church of Laodicea. And if you'll turn with me in your copy of the scripture to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 14, give just a minute for the rustling of pages to stop. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ear, let him, ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. we we'll just kind of we'll start this off. What do you think the worst thing that can happen to a church? What is the worst thing that could happen to a church? Division? Okay. Apathy? Okay. Okay. Holy Spirit, they're dead. Any others? Complacent? Um, you, you know, I, I think one of the things that you'll find here that I think is one of the most dangerous things is found right here in Laodicea. It was a church, the greatest problem of this church, and what can be a big problem for the church, is that they feel like it needs nothing. And that they are self-sufficient. In other words, I don't need God. I can do it myself. I don't need him to intervene we've got everything we want and it's going well so we're good and the reason for that is simple because the church that has no need becomes complacent apathetic spiritually dead and it all becomes about show and it becomes about talent and ability when that's not really what Christ wanted the church to be. We're gonna talk about that a little bit throughout the evening. But the idea here is that Christ designed the church to be a living organism, not an organization. You catch that? The church is not supposed to be an organization. It's supposed to be this living, active organism that communicates the Word of God, that communicates life. But the only way you can communicate life is in an effective way, and the way that God wants you to, is if you have life being poured into you. That's why you get this picture at the end of the passage we read, that Jesus stands at the door... And he knocks. Why is he knocking? Because he's not in. Somebody doesn't stand at the door and knock if they're already inside. That's crazy. And, and that's what, it, you know, we, we like to use that passage for sinners. We like to use that and, and in, in a way and in a sense it, it is true, but this isn't necessarily the idea here the idea is he's at the church doors wanting in the church that's right he's not he's a gentleman he doesn't force his way upon us and so he is this verse is like i said it's misquoted um, a lot of times talking about salvation but it's a picture of christ and his church with christ on the outside hoping to get back in <laughs> That's good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we kind of call that meddling, but me too, but uh, <laughs> start talking about meddling there. Let's uh, let's look at a couple. Let's kind of break this down section by by section tonight, as as we go through this. Um, in verses fourteen and and fifteen. Um, it says these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of god's creation verse 15 says this i know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot and i wish you were either one or the other so because you're a lukewarm neither hot nor cold i'm about to spit you out of my mouth i want to kind of give us some background we've done, kind of done that along the way with uh, every one of these cities and, and Laodicea, I don't want that to be any different. Because I think as we give you some background and some history on this, it'll start to illuminate to you a little bit about where they are and, and what's going on here. Laodicea is probably one of the wealthiest cities in the world in the first century. Um, it, it, uh, it, it would be a very much a parallel to what we would have been considered in the United States of America, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, Laodicea, in, in, in the United States, I don't know if you realize this, but if there, there's a, I believe there's a statistic that's still relevant today. It was relevant, I think, 10 years ago. If you make $30,000 a year, um, you're in the top 5% in the world as far as finance in what you make. And at $30,000 here, that's kind of, that, that's not a whole lot. But if you make that, you're in the top 5% in, in the world's economy. Um, it, its wealth was so great that in AD 60, when the entire city was leveled by this huge earthquake uh, that happened, it was entirely rebuilt without any financial help from Rome nor any other outside source. It was rebuilt on its own wealth. The city was known for three major things. You're going to kind of pick these up as we go through the text. Three major things it was known for. It had a vast and wealthy banking system. It would have been the New Testament version of Wall Street. Okay. The second thing is this. It had a huge textile industry and it was known for their specialty. was known for making black clothes. Remember that. It was known for making black clothes. And thirdly, it had a large and famous medical school that was famous for its eye salve for the world. Um, the The medical um, the eye salve was called. uh, I'm. I'm just going to spell it. How about that? All right. C e l l r i u m. C e l l y, r i u m. That was the name of the staff. All three. I have no idea. All three of these things. They were famous for, and they're proud of are used by God to address their spiritual condition. Kind of gives you a little bit of insight here as you read through this passage. The church itself in Laodicea was no doubt extremely wealthy. It's stated here by God that it was. You think you are rich. You say, I am rich. Yet in spite of all of its advantages, the church is the most condemned out of all the other seven churches in Revelation. I can imagine that, um, and due to archaeology finds, they've uncovered three buildings of the early Christian church in Laodicea. I can imagine them being very much a wonderful facility to worship in. It certainly operated probably in the most business like of fashion. It did well financially. Um, The text stated that they needed nothing materially. Nothing. You have no need of nothing. It says, I am rich, verse 17 says, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. With all the bankers in town and businessmen, it was no, debt, no doubt one of the top-notch run facilities. And yet God takes exception to the church's spiritual condition. The church was not meant to function like a typical business the church is not meant to function like we talked about earlier. It is not a business. It is not something that is um, an entity or an organ is organization. The church was meant to be a spiritual, life-giving entity, an organism that gives out life. And the, the, the church at Laodicea had become an organization, business-like, ran church model. And it lacked spiritual guidance. It lacked spiritual anything that uh, would move it forward spiritually. Oh, they may have had people come into the church. They may have had people come in and out. But the, the thing was, is they weren't there for the spiritual hunger. They were there because it was the popular place to be. They were there because it was where all the other businessmen went. And it was a nice place to go. And, and they probably, and, and this is just my thought process in reading this, these are my deductions, okay? Probably wasn't a place that talked a whole lot about sin. Probably wasn't a place that talked a whole lot about Holiness. Probably wasn't the place where you would hear a preacher or a pastor say anything that would ruffle people's feathers or step on their toes. It would have been much a, um, oh man, I don't wanna, I'm gonna say it, seeker sensitive. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It would be a seeker sensitive thought process that whatever we can do to reach people and get them in the church we don't care about their spiritual condition but if they're warming a pew that's fine that would have been the thought process here and god looks at their their life he looks at their spiritual temperature and he pronounces them sick he pronounces them lukewarm The church in Laodicea had put great pride in what they possessed, but they didn't put great pride in being God's possession. Does that make sense? Um, They weren't cold, but they weren't hot. They were lukewarm, and thus they were no good. And can I tell you a little bit about this church? Because there was something I found out about this church that really helped me understand. Because when when Jesus calls them, he says, you're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you. We'll talk about that a little bit. It's more like vomit. I'll spit you out of my mouth. There's a reason for that. And these people would have understood completely what he was talking about. Out of all the things Laodicea had, they had great wealth, great textiles, um, all that stuff. There's one thing they didn't have, a water supply. And so what they had to do was six miles on one side of the city was a hot spring. And so they had to dig an aqueduct that would go from that hot spring to the town, the city. So by the time that water, that hot water, flowed six miles to that aqueduct to the city, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. Also, that was the hot water. The cold water, it is said that that was six miles on the other side of the city, was it a cold spring. And so they had to dig an aqueduct from that spring to come to the city. And by the time that cold water got to the city, it was not cold anymore. It was Luke warm. And so whenever you would go to get a drink of water, whenever you would get, especially if a guest or a visitor to that city would come in, they would go down and they're not used to it. They would grab a drink of water and then, poof, oh, that's Disgusting. I mean, like, I'm not a big lukewarm water fan. I I don't like that. The other thing too is, when the hot water would come this way, how many of you know what happens in heat? When heat starts to get colder, living parasites and all kinds of stuff start to live in it. And so as it moves its way down, that water that you were using to take baths in, all that kind of stuff, is now not a suitable type of water. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he says, you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. They understood exactly what that lukewarm thought process was. Because that was part of their water supply. It was part of what they lived with every day. And what had happened was the parallel was made here. Jesus says, Listen, the physical water that you are allowing in and you are having lukewarm, you have allowed that to be the same thing that now affects your spirit, and your, and your spirit has become lukewarm like the water. You don't like the water, I don't like your spirit. and their temperature their spiritual temperature was not good if if you look at that word spit it is literally translated the word vomit so god is use a pretty strong word here to make a point about this church you know there's other Um, texts of Scriptures that talk about the idea of lukewarmness and being vomited. I mean, you think about Jonah. He would have known the the vomit thing pretty well, right? Because that's how he got to the shore. Um, The church seemed quite impressive. It seemed that the finances were good. The business practices were good. It probably had a good name. It probably might have, was well organized. Board members were probably successful businessmen. Perhaps there were students from the medical school there. They were well educated. But they were deceived. Because they thought that their self-sufficiency and their arrogance could be their spiritual life. And Christ says, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, kind of the thought process, you know, I begin to think about what that looked like a little bit, and, you know, I, I think of, of my life, and, and I wonder, you know, wh- what? how do we gauge the temperature of something? Christ gauged the temperature of Laodicea um, based on their spiritual heart and their spiritual activity, and... And I begin to think, am I a thermometer or a thermostat? I'll tell you what I mean by that. A thermometer does what? It measures the temperature that's around it. It takes in the, what, whatever the, the atmosphere of the room is, it takes in and it just displays the temperature. So does my spiritual life just display the things that I'm around? Or am I a thermostat? Thermostats set the temperature for the things that they're around. So if I'm just a thermometer then my spiritual condition is based on the people that I surround myself with. If the the church at Laodicea that church became a a therm, the the people there just they were just content with whatever was going on around them. Nobody wanted to step up and be a thermostat and say listen this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what God's called me to do. I'm going to affect the people around me and not let those people affect who I am. And so the challenge tonight is is for us, too. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? Do you gauge the temperature of the room around you? Are you influencing the temperature of the room around you? Is your spiritual life with Christ, because I believe that the church at Laodicea had such an opportunity. See, that's what you miss, I think, sometimes when we read this, is there's such an opportunity there to have an impact on that town, and that town and that church could have had an impact throughout the entire region and maybe even the entire known world at the time. Why? Because if they would have had the heartbeat of Christ if they would have had the heartbeat that says, man, I want to see people live holy. I want to see people follow Christ. I want the Spirit of God to dwell up inside of me. And I want this to be a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled church where He has control and He's moving forward. I want that to be part of my life. And if they would have had that kind of attitude, could you imagine the work they could have done on a global level? Sad to me, and I stop to think for just a minute because I see so many parallels here. Because, you know, the church in America and, and and the church of Laodicea, you know, if there's one thing that we we have to guard ourselves is this: is that we don't become self sufficient and business like, because God didn't call us to be a business. God didn't call us to be uh, something that we're trying to make a profit. God called us to reach lost people. God called us to be his arms and hands extended. God called us to go and to make disciples. God called us to have a spiritual life with him, that he's not waiting outside of our heart's door at our church, knocking, saying, hey, you're going to let me in? But he's already inside living and moving and active and touching the lives of people. I've been in churches where this was the case. Everything looked like it was good, but there was no life in it. And I don't know about you, but ask for me. I would rather have God leading us. I'd rather be a life-giving organism of Christ touching the lives of people than have a swelled bank account, that have all the cool things. I'd rather be a reaching people and seeing the Christ move in us and do great things and mighty things through our lives because I think that's what the heartbeat of God is. And, and you know, every one of these churches that we've talked about, and if there's been a common theme across them, is it's kind of the First Samuel theme as well. It kind of goes along with what Ty said. Man looks at the outward appearance of things, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward things, and everything looks to be good. Everything looks to be great. But God says, listen, I know your heart, and your heart is not good. Your heart is not where it needs to be. So in in the context of um, of all of these churches and this study that we've had, I, I think the challenge for us is this. Where's our heart in all of this? He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want you to be middle of the road. I don't want you to half-heartedly seek after me. I don't want you to just do the things that that you're doing and thinking that that's going to be sufficient. I want you to have passion after me. I want you to get involved in in seeking after me with all of your heart. That there's nothing that you want more than me. That that 6, Matthew 6 33 passage, even as he goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you seek first God's kingdom, what happens? All the other stuff as God sees fit will be added around you. He will take care of you. He will supply for you. He will do that as you walk in faith. Those kind of things happen. I'm sure every one of us have a story of that, of how, man, we didn't realize. We didn't have all the wealth. We didn't have all the stuff. We didn't have all that things. But because we decided that, man, I've decided I'm following Jesus, no turning back. It doesn't matter what uh, what the world says, what what the world's going to do. I'm going to follow him. And as you take those faith steps, God just begins to do great things. And you see miracles happen, and you see stuff take place, and and you're just like, wow, what happened here? Well, God... Has re- rewarded, I don't know if that's a good thought process, but God has observed our faithfulness. And He's been true to His word in that. That's good. I can't help but wonder the Yeah you know that 's a hard I can answer that with about four or five probably different scenarios um, just because i 've heard four or five, six different <laughs> mindsets from other people so uh, you know to to be able to say that i i don't know um, we're in about two or three weeks we 're going to start a sermon series on the church and the importance of the church as the body of christ and and, and I do believe that does, you know, I, I think I want to make sure this is not in my notes. I'm going off the cuff. So I want to make sure I'm thinking what I'm saying here. Um, I think that when we get to the idea that we don't need the body, that's a dangerous place to be. Because when you think you don't need to be a part of the body of Christ, And the devil's working on you to get you isolated. And once he gets you isolated, he will have a field day on you. And the things that you were growing in, those things will become either slow or stop completely. I've heard people tell me this. Oh, pastor, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You don't need to have a uh, parachute to jump out of an airplane either, but they do help. And, and, and the thing that I, I would understand with this is, is, is this idea that, man, I have watched and observed my most of my life from the time I got saved as a teenager until today, I have observed this phenomenon, and I'll tell you what it is people who are actively involved in their church, people who are actively involved in coming to a Wednesday night, coming to a Sunday night, coming to a Sunday morning, and they are actively involved in it, those are the people that grow. This is my observation. Those are the people that are moving forward in their walk with Christ. The minute those people start to pull away from the church, and I'm not just talking about from one church to another church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they pull away from the church entirely. And they decide, I don't need to go to church to serve God. I can do this on my own. The spiritual growth usually either slows way down and eventually stops. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a biblical principle there that we need one another. There's a biblical principle there that Christ established the church. He established it for growth. He established it for, um, what does what Acts two forty two says? They dedicated themselves to what? The disciples' teaching, to prayer, to the fellowship of, of gathering together and the breaking of bread. That's the church. And to be even a little, I don't know, I'm preaching in the choir tonight. Mm-hmm. I get that. But to even be a little bit more forthright in that, and this is, again, my thoughts, for me to say that I don't need the church tells me that I got things under control more than God does. Because God was the one that designed the church. God was the one that formed the church and established it. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail Against it. I think it's important. So surely I've gone all the way around that bush. <laughs> to Comment on that question. Sorry. Right. That's awesome. That is. That's awesome. You know, Peter says this. He says the devil goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um... I've used this example before, and I'm sure you remember it. Um, If you watch the animal planet, what do lions prey on? Isolation. They wait for the antelope or whatever they're hunting to get away from the herd. And then when it gets away from the herd, they pounce on it. The devil does the same thing by telling us different things. I don't need the church. I can miss this Sunday. It's okay. I can go part-time. I don't need to be there all the time. Um and he uses stuff like that to to combat a thought process. Like said, aus- isolation. Yeah, it's also people that are we but don't realize that they are different standpoints yep. All right, moving forward. If you look from verse 17 it says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can be covered your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see the bottom line in this for this church was their over reliance on themselves and on things. Um, this town had, um, the, you, you know, this town had acquired great wealth. It had acquired great influence. It had banks, a lot of banks. It had textile plants. It had medical universities. Um, they had all this stuff. And no doubt they felt like they were on top of the world, but. The the church was becoming, it was dead. And, And they couldn't see how distorted their value system had become. Instead of their abundance being accredited to God, they were taking the credit for it themselves and relying on it instead of God. God tells them that they lack the very necessities of spiritual life. And He tells them in terms that they're going to understand. He said that they were what? Poor. He said they were naked. He said that they were blind. They they lacked the three things that they were most secure in. He said that this, he says, this is what you need. You need to open up your accounts and buy new. You need gold that's been refined in the fire. Spiritual wealth comes only from those who go through trials. Because those trials do what? They exercise your faith. White clothes, not the black clothes that you're famous for. But you need to put on white clothes. What was white a symbol of? Righteousness and purity, right? And so you also need to cover your nakedness with these white clothes. Back in those days, nakedness was considered the most shameful thing that could happen to a person. Um, he said, eye was needed to correct your blindness problem. You need to have a spiritual awakening so that you can be able to see spiritual things. You see, they think they have everything, but God offers them something here that they don't possess. This is what God's doing with Laodicea. He's offering them a different kind of wealth, a different kind of clothing, a different kind of vision. You know, the Word of God says, oh, I believe it's in Proverbs, I can't remember the address, but it says, without vision, people perish. And he's not talking about just my sight, he's not talking about the eye salve physically. He's talking about a spiritual vision of who God is, how big He is, a spiritual vision of growth, a spiritual vision of of growing and moving in Christ. And because you don't have that, the people around you are perishing. Those people perish because of lack of vision. Those people perish because your focus is on something that it shouldn't be on. Does that make sense? And I think the same thing can be said here about the Laodicean church. The people around you in your town are perishing, Laodicea. Why? Because you've lost your focus. You have lost your spiritual sight. So he has this harsh word for them, and he says this, But after he says this, notice what he says in verse 19. Why does he have this rebuke for them? Because he loves them. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So do what? Listen, be earnest, and repent. Repent. I've brought it to your attention. Don't you love it when God does that? He brings stuff to your attention. You know, sometimes we go through difficult seasons and we go through difficult stuff of life. We go through trials and we go through seasons and, and we've done things and, and maybe our focus was where it shouldn't have been or, or we're um, so involved in doing things and we've kind of become dependent upon ourselves and kind of, I don't need God and I'm doing okay. We would never say that. I mean, you would never say that. I, I, can't, I look across the room and I don't think anybody in this room would ever say, I don't need God. But what we do and how sometimes we live speaks a little louder than what we say. And what happens is we get off focus. Have you ever had God change your focus? Have you ever had a moment where God said, Listen, we got to have a talk. And in those moments... He begins to, the Holy Spirit begins to unveil some things in your life that have caused you to lose your vision. And as that begins to happen, it's painful. And it hurts. And it's not easy. And I think of times when God has taken me to the proverbial woodshed to correct my vision put salve on my eyes, and give me opportunity at that point to change my heart. Now, he can bring it all in front of you. And he does. The Holy Spirit uses his word. He uses your prayer time. He uses just ways that he can use other people. God is not limited on how he tells us our vision is messed up. But one thing I know is when the Holy Spirit convicts me of that and it's put in front of me, then it's up to me to repent. He says, listen, I love you. I'm rebuking you. I'm disciplining you because I love you. So because of that, now be earnest and repent. This is not a death sentence, Laodicea. At this point right now, I'm giving you opportunity to turn and to change and to repent. God's so gracious to us in that those moments when we feel like we've lost our way and the Holy Spirit reaches out to us, He offers us love and repentance if we choose to if we'll seek first his kingdom, if we'll do what Hebrews 12 talks about and fix our eyes, get our focus back where it needs to be and fix our eyes on Jesus and not be fixed on other things, he will direct us. He'll show us what we need to be. They were loaded with the world's stuff. But God's word tells to them, be earnest. What does that word earnest mean? Sincere. Sincere. Another way to word that in Christian ease is this. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be half-hearted. I think one of the things that hurts the American church Is that many are half hearted? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean by this Jesus said this, the Word of God says this if you seek God with all your heart, you'll find Him. And we've got so many that just seek Him when it's convenient. And seek Him when it's easy. Just share my heart with you tonight. Is that right? And I think sometimes we get to the place as the church, and I'm talking capital C church here too. We have become church as a business. And we've become church as an organization. And it's just something that we go to because it's the stylish thing to do or it's the, I'm going to go and and appease my conscience for a, a week. But we're not really soaking in the Word of God. We're not really seeking after Him with all of our heart. We're not really going after God like we should. We're just half-hearted in it. We kind of give a lip service, if you will. And we don't really go after God Because going after God is not just on Sunday. It's not just on a Wednesday night. The idea of going after God and seeking Him with all of your heart has to happen every single day. And if you aren't earnest about that, you'll think that Sundays and Wednesdays or whatever will be sufficient. And you'll just kind of go on your own, and you'll kind of be fine. But half-heartedly, you'll never see the fullness of God in your life. You'll never see God do the things that he wants to do in your life. Because why? Because your focus is split. You've You've got double vision. From someone who has double vision, it is hard to walk a straight line when you have double vision. And then all of a sudden, what happens? If I can't walk a straight line, I begin to fall into sin. And I begin to fall away from God. Why? Because I'm only half in. And he says to this church, and I hear him saying this, I believe to the Church of America, be earnest. Don't be half-hearted anymore. Be earnest in this. And then not only be earnest, but repent. Turn around, head the other direction, get your focus right. Jesus is standing outside the church door. Here, the picture is clear and he's knocking. The context is about Christians in the church. These are not unbelievers. These are about Christians in the church. And he is outside the door trying to get in. And that tells you how far this church has drifted. How much focus they've lost. And if the door is open, he promises to come in and share a meal with them. He promises to come in and and eat with that person. And and that that would be a... A time of connection together. The meal that's spoken here is the evening meal. It was the last and the most important meal of the day. It was the last call for dinner before the darkness of night set in. A possible reference here to the end time. Tribulation period. Notice the problem includes... Mutual, the promise here, not the problem, but the promise includes mutual sharing. It's real fellowship with God. It's not one-sided. And he goes on to say this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne, Whoever has an ear, let him hear. You know, I close with this thought there's no middle ground between heaven and hell. Nor is there between commitment and no commitment. God's call is for us to be hot or cold, not sort of saved. <laughs> Not sort of lost, but all in. All in. And so tonight, as we close our thought process and our our lesson here tonight, I'm going to ask if if we will do two things. Number one, I believe whenever I hear a message like this, I want to do one thing first. I want to check me. God is my focus where it needs to be. Is my vision clear? Am I, doing, am I seeking after you with all my heart? And so we're going to have a time for you just to kind of do that tonight. Ask that question. God, is this... And then the second thing I want us to do tonight is this. I want us to pray for the church here, but also the Church of America. What would happen if we, as believers would get a new vision and a new focus of Christ and be all in to serve Him. Amazing things. So, Father, tonight we pause in this moment. Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would just begin to touch and minister to the heart of people God, you have such a way, just like you did with this church, of of exposing the things that that we need to change. The sin that's in our life. The double vision that we have. The things that our priorities have set. And and we have where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. and, And the things of seeking first after you. And sometimes we don't do that. So God, right now I pray... Holy Spirit, speak to us tonight and touch our hearts tonight as we take a moment and just repent. That we take a moment and we be earnest, not half-hearted, but we be earnest and sincere with you tonight, Lord. Yes, God. And so, Lord, tonight we pray for the churches of America. We pray for the churches of our country. God, tonight I I pray that you would help us to get a fresh vision of you. That we would find ourselves with the spiritual salve, as you talked about, on our eyes, that we would be able to see. God, that you would give us clarity, that we would be robed in purity. God, that we would find our riches only found in you, not in our stuff or our things. We're so self-sufficient, God, that we have become to the place where we're almost, in in some places, we may be like this church in Laodicea. God, help us. Help us to get repent. Help us to fo- refocus. We want to be a part of your moving and your kingdom. We want you to work through the body of Christ, not just in Buysville, but all around this world. We want you to move through us so that we can see the kingdom of God move forward. The lives of people are at stake. God, we've got a big job to do. But the most important thing that we do is keep our focus and our vision on you. And as we do that, the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, it speaks through us. As we learn your word, as we memorize your word, as we pray and seek your face, as we seek you with all of our heart, it can't help but to have you pouring out of us into other people. The church needs to be a living organism, God. We don't want to just be an organization. We don't live for a 501c3. God, we live for the fact that we are an organism of Christ. We are living. We are moving. We are seeing the lifeblood of Jesus alive in us. The Spirit of God bears witness with us, and we are moving with you, Lord. We don't want to do church as normal. We don't want to do church just as a business. We want to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-anointed. We want you. We want you. As the references talk about in the New Testament, we want to be the bride that the groom is proud of. We want to be the bride that is so enamored and so in love with her groom that we can't wait for the day. We want everything we do, we want to please Him. God, let it be the case. We repent. We love You, Lord, tonight. We thank You. Help our hearts to be exposed before You, Holy Spirit that you would be able to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.